Good morning, and welcome. Uh, I am Pastor Bob Bartlett, and I'm always excited to be in the house of God, and and even more excited to hear from God from His Word. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the superiority and the supremacy of Christ. If you remember the last time I spoke, uh, which was about three, was it three Sundays ago, Paul? I, I don't remember exactly. But this is the word I was going to bring, uh, the word I'm bringing this morning. But then God... Uh, as always, uh, he gets to dictate everything here at Submerged Church. And he woke me in a dream uh, with these words, the living, the living Christ or the risen Christ is the living word of God. The living word of God is the risen Christ. And my heart was directed to John 1, 1 through 14. Uh, and I presented that word uh, three Sundays ago. Fear the word of grace and truth. And I didn't understand then, you know, as a pastor, you, you make plans, and of course, you always make room for God to intercept those plans, amen? Uh, and, uh, and he did that. But I understand now why that message had to precede this message, and you might consider this part two of fear the word of grace and truth. Uh, as we go through this message today, uh, I think you'll realize that it could easily have been preached as a Christmas message. But the reality is, if we are in Christ, every day is Christmas, right? Amen? Uh, it's debatable who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, a lot of theologians say Paul wrote it, but it was written in Greek, so that really uh, discounts. Uh, some say it was the good Dr. Luke. Either way, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians, uh, early converts from Judaism. Uh, unfortunately, some of whom were still practicing aspects of the law, uh, most notably animal sacrifices in the temple. Today, it's worth noting that it, there's an estimated 34,000 denominations uh, worldwide claiming to be Christian, uh, what I like to say, practicing elements of Christianity. I think that's a little bit debatable, uh, especially when we look into the Word of God. As you remember, I said I was alarmed not by the world, uh, muddying the waters of Christianity, but more the church, Christ church, the Christian church, muddying the waters, uh, the clarity uh, and the truth of the word of God. Understand that the only recognized true religion uh, at the time this was written was Judaism. All else were pagan and godless, and they either presented uh, two avenues, seeking pleasure or death. At the time, the Jewish people were considered the only true worshipers of God. That's why the Old Testament is quoted 80 times in the book of Hebrews, to link the two testaments, the Old Testament. Most influential in that day was Greek uh, Greek mythology, the king of their gods, uh, if you know anything about 
Greek mythology was Zeus, and he was married to Hera, but Zeus was always carrying on affairs with gods and mortals, and this led to a lot of paganism in the day, uh, most of it devoted to hedonism or pleasure, a self-serving God, if you will. And the church needs to be warned of the great danger when we try or we attempt to make God into our own image. We project our ideas and our ideals onto God, dismissing the word of God so as to conform to our own lives, our own practices. And when we do that, we must understand that we're no better than the pagans when we make God into our own image. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.5 about those who were lovers of pleasure, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he goes on further to say, have nothing to do with such people. And so we understand that the church is called out and to be separate from the world. We are the ones that are be the salt and the light, and we understand that. As John 1, 1 through 14 speaks to the superiority of Christ and the word of Christ, the word of God, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 has a, a very striking parallel to that. In the original Greek, uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 is one long, continuous sentence. And that wouldn't be very acceptable in today's English standards. But one thing to note, 11 times the writer uses the word better. Christ is a better sacrifice. We now have a better hope, a better glory uh, than the, Jew the Jews could offer through Judaism. It's one continuous and glorious resume and revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, the Christian's only hope and only stead. So I want to get in this morning and begin with what the writer in verses 1 and 2, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him he made the universe. This is what is known as the glad declaration or the glad tidings of the pronouncement of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that all true worshipers of God at that time had was the revealed 39 books of the Old Testament, a period known as the progressive revelation, the age of the prophets, both major and minor. But they all made it clear, as the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 43, verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. Apart from me, apart from God, there is no salvation. To the Jews, the Old Testament was the word and the voice of God. The word is completely true, but it wasn't completed truth. The prophets, as the writer says, uh, received the word of God many times and in various ways. We all understand Moses coming down from Sinai with God's commandments etched in stone. God even used a donkey uh, to turn the prophet Balaam around. Uh, my good friend Austin isn't here today, and I was going to joke, see, Austin, you can be encouraged. God can use anybody. Uh, 
But the reality is God does speak to us many times and in various ways. And the Old Testament was written over 1,500 years, 39 books, and it was to be considered the prophetic word of God. And Peter attests in the New Testament in 2 Peter 1.21 that prophecy never had its origins in the will of man. But holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But we must view the Old Testament as a giant roadside pointing to the coming Messiah. Again, as God attests through the prophet Isaiah, and I will give to Jerusalem one who brings good tidings. There it is, good tidings, good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why more and more in our culture today, the Jewish people are rejecting the Old Testament because of the prophetic word of God, 360 prophecies of the coming Messiah. And Isaiah uh, clearly presents that in his book. So we must view uh, the Old Testament as a giant road sign. The Jewish people had been waiting 4,000 years for their Messiah. As I said, the Old Testament revealed 360 prophecies of the coming Messiah, but the Jewish people fell asleep at the wheel, if you will, in this period when the book of Hebrews was written. On the Sabbath day, seven people were allowed to read from the Torah, a priest, a Levite, and five ordinary citizens. And Luke chapter 4 records that one day on the Sabbath, Jesus entered into the temple as an ordinary citizen to read from the Torah, one of five. And let's read what he wrote. You want to put that up, Charlton? He read, or he read from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, there's the word again, to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now that's all Jesus read, but I thought we'd finish his sentence here. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And what's significant about this event in Luke chapter 4, at the end of that, in verse 21, Jesus says boldly, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he proclaimed that he was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, pointing to a coming Messiah. That's why in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, Uh, It is recorded, verses 10 and 11, Then the angel said to them, the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, a glad declaration, good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For today in in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. Paul writes in Hebrews, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And the truth is, Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, is the fulfillment of the law, of the prophets, and the complete word of God. Jesus Christ incarnate, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the revelation is Jesus Christ. 
Some called him teacher in the day. Some called him a good man. Some called him a rabbi. Some called him a prophet. But we call him Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As Paul boldly proclaimed in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then the Gentile. And you can see why Paul wasn't uh, highly favored among the Jewish people of the day. Secondly, we have what we call the glowing presentation or what I like to call the resume of Jesus Christ. You know, recently I, I had a young friend of mine that was in line for a promotion at his work and he sent me out his resume to review it and to look over it, you know, for mistakes and things like that. It was, it was an impressive resume. Well, Paul speaks here of the impressive resume or the glowing presentation of Christ. In verse 3, he says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. These are the res this is the resume or the qualifications of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament had many voices. The New Testament has one voice, and that is Jesus Christ. Three times it's recorded at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, Luke 9, 7, and Luke, or Mark 9, 7, and Luke 9.35, when God himself thundered from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. He has the words of life. Amen. So we know that Jesus Christ, the first qualification of his resume is he is the creator. He is the author of all things and he is over all things. As Paul says in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. Christ is the creator of all things. Secondly, Christ is the reconciler or the restorer of all things. Again, Paul attesting in the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Brothers and sisters, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is our hope and victory. The truth is Jesus Christ, because he is not only creator and reconciler, the writer says he is the sustainer of all things. Jude writes in chapter 1, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited, that is Jesus or Messiah, is superior to theirs. This speaks to the superiority and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the only one who is capable, worthy, and qualified. 
capable, worthy, and qualified to pay for the sins of the world. What's interesting to the writer of Hebrews here says that after Christ completed his work, he sat down. Those are powerful words. Understand in the Old Testament, it, there were no chairs in the temple. The priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies to perform the sacrifices, he stood during the whole preparation and the practice of sacrifice, signifying that it was incomplete. But when Christ sat down, that is a glowing presentation of the work is done. It is finished. Christ was the perfect sacrifice. And Jude writes to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. You know, we live in a perilous world getting more perilous by the day as my brother alluded to this morning. But do you understand the supremacy and the superiority of Christ. He created us, he reconciled us, and he will sustain us through trial, through trouble, no matter what we face in this life, hardships, testing, persecution, Christ sustains us. He is indeed our present hope, our future hope, and certainly our eternal hope. Amen? Next, the writer goes into what I like to call the glorious exhortation, the glorious encouragement of being found in Christ. After he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down. Jesus Christ satisfied the righteous requirements of God. Jesus Christ satisfied the righteous requirements of God's word. We cannot diminish the holiness of God. We cannot diminish the church, the Christian, the believer cannot diminish the holiness of God. To be and to live in the presence of God, one had to be made holy. That was God's covenant. And he writes to that effect in Leviticus 20 when he says, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Now we know further in Hebrews 10, Paul writes in chapter 10, verse 4, that it was impossible. It was impossible. Everybody knows what that word impossible means? It's impossible, right? Nothing's impossible with God. But it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Understand, all they could do was cover the sins of men. What the law of sacrificing couldn't do, covering sins, Christ completed, Christ fulfilled. Christ is our holiness, amen? Their holiness was not sustainable. Our holiness was made perfect. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. The truth is, Jesus Christ is only all our holiness and righteousness. 
Paul writes in Hebrews 10, then he said, here I am, I've come to do, do your will. He set aside the first, that is the first covenant, to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. The moment you and I came to Christ, all of our sins were paid for. All of our sins were taken away. They were nailed to the cross, Paul writes in Colossians 2. David writes in Psalm 113, as far as the east is from the west, our sins are removed. Our sins are God. You and I as believers in Christ, we stand before a holy God made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that only leads to one thing, and that is the concluding celebration. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, quoting Psalm, 20, or Psalm 45, verse 7. Therefore, your God has set you above your, command, uh, your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. As Jesus Christ is set above all the calamity of this world, so you and I are set above. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in us in bodily form. And we've been given fullness in Christ. We are complete in Christ. Who is the head over every power and authority? We have power and authority over all things in this world. Whatever we face, we have power and authority over them. We have been anointed with the oil of joy. You know, I love that word joy. Paul did a great job this past week, or these past few weeks, uh, teaching and preaching on the fruits of the Spirit. And we all know the second one is joy. What I love about joy is that's a word that God used 49 years ago when I saw my wife's picture in the school paper. Uh, she had won, uh, I didn't know who she was, uh, but she was homecoming queen, and that was the headline, that she was filled with joy. And I remember being struck that such a peculiar word, I'd never really heard of that word before, and then God proceeded to tell me that she was going to be my wife. And uh, 46 and a half years later, I'm happy to say she's still my wife. Took a long time to convince her, but, but believers, what he's talking about here is an inner joy. It's an inner seal of the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah says in chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's an inner work of God. We are a sealed possession of the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm. Amen? We stand firm in this world. When everything else is crumbling, when all the foundations are being destroyed, believers in Jesus Christ, we stand firm. Not in our own power, but in the power and the authority and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We are a sealed possession. We stand firm because God has anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his 
Holy Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And the reality is this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he is all our hope, he's all our joy, he's all our glory, both now and forevermore. Paul writes in Romans 8, chapters 16, or chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies, that is the Holy Spirit within our hearts, right? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs. And there's that word. Heirs was a huge statement. For somebody to make that statement in the presence of a Jewish community, that would have been a huge statement. That Christ is the heir of all things. And because Christ is the heir of all things, we are the heir of all things. And Paul goes on further to say, now if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. We are the children of God. And only the believer who puts his trust and his faith and his hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ is a child of God. And we may have 3,400 denominations in the world practicing elements of Christianity, claiming Christianity. But if your heart isn't sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, if you haven't had Christ pay for your sins, then you are not a children of God. We had a little discussion about that at men's breakfast. <clears throat> about seeker-friendly churches. And we all agreed that there are none that seek after God. Amen? This is a divine appointment. This is a divine interception of God when he comes upon the human heart and reveals himself and convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. We share in his glory. You know, my strongest spiritual gift is encouragement. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, I don't, I don't, I've gotten off most of social media because uh, it's just so much junk and garbage. Uh, but you only have to turn on the news or pick up a paper. Uh, and you know we live in a very dark and perilous world. And we're called to be the salt and light, there's no doubt about that. But you and I, because we're in Christ, we have the superiority and the supremacy of Christ in our hearts, in our lives, with us every day, and that is forever our glorious hope and joy and victory. Let us live it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these uh, profound, profound words from the book of Hebrews. There's a song that I absolute my favorite, Word of God Speak. May you pour down like rain. And maybe there are some here this morning that have never prayed to receive Christ. But they have heard the knock, they have felt the tug in their hearts. Lord, pray that today would be the day they come to the throne of grace. The riches, the riches of Christ's grace, Lord, and accept him as Lord and Savior. But we pray for us who are in Christ this morning that your word would pour down like rain, not only refresh us, not only renew us, God, but revive us with the truth of who we are in Christ. 
our position in Christ. We are as superior to all else in this world because he is risen, because he was victorious. We live risen and victorious. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.